You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. All right. Well, let's pray, y'all, and we'll uh, get into the Word tonight. I'm ready for the Word. I don't know about you, uh, but I'm, I'm excited. So let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. We praise you. We honor you. We glorify your holy name. You're worthy of our praise. You're worthy of our worship. And Father, we just uh, come into your presence boldly tonight. And Father, we uh, thank you for the written word of God that we have, that we can study, that we can feed upon. I thank you for the Holy Ghost who lives and dwells on the inside of us. Jesus said he would be our teacher. And so, Lord Jesus, we give you permission through the Holy Spirit to teach us tonight, to correct us, to bring uh, just adjustments, things that we need to do in our lives. And Father, I thank you for it. I thank you that as we hear the word and we receive it, that it will produce in our lives. And Father, we'll be mindful not to just be hearers only, but we'll be doers of what you tell us to do. And we thank you for it. So Lord, we thank you that we'll be changed tonight by the power of your word and your anointing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, turn in your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. I'm going to spend a few minutes just reviewing a little bit, touching on some things. I have a tendency to, or, or things have a tendency to jump out as we go back over some stuff that maybe we talked about last week. And uh, again, no addition per se to the notes that we talked about or that were available last week. It's basically the same thing, but we're just going to endeavor to to get more ground covered. So 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15 say this, now this is the confidence that we have in him. You know, God wants us to pray and have confidence when we pray. And uh, we're going to talk, what we're talking about is, is seven steps to prayer that brings results. And a, part, a huge part of our prayers uh, producing and having the results that the Lord wants us to have with them is having this confidence. So he goes on to say, now this is the confidence that we have in him. So here's the confidence that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. So the confidence that we can have when we pray is that, let's walk this out, that if we ask anything according to his will, it is guaranteed that the Lord hears us, that God hears us. Then he goes on to say, and then we, if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions or the things that we have asked for of him. So the confidence comes if we ask according to his will. So we said last week, the first step, the first thing that we need to look at with prayer that brings results is decide what you want or need from the Lord, from God, and find scriptures that promise you those things. So, so decide what you want or need from God 
and find the scriptures that promise you those things. Now, one of the reasons that it's so important that we have our prayer based on the word of God is, as he says in 1 John, that the word of God is primarily the way God is going to reveal his will to us. So if we can find it in the word, it is the will of God. And so therefore we can pray for those things and know that it is the will of God for us to have those things. And so it's very, very important. We spent some time last week talking about Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, which you know we often quote, we often talk about. We talked about the differences between the Logos word of God, which is a Greek word that is used uh, to talk about the word of God in the New Testament versus the Rhema word of God. And we said that the difference is that the Rhema word of God is what is revealed to us in our spirits. It is what the Holy Spirit makes alive to us, makes real to us. It becomes revelation to us versus just reading words, which there's nothing wrong with this, words on paper and, you know, just reading it. And we should, but it doesn't necessarily have the level of revelation that some of the other scriptures do. And what I mean by that is, you know, just to use an example with, with all of us on here tonight, as we're born again, we got a revelation somewhere in the process of time of what it means to be born again, uh, how we received Christ, how our lives were changed, how we became new creation. And so as a result of that, that became revelation to us in our spirits, and there is nothing that can extract that from us. It's become very real. I, you know, there is nobody that's going to be able to talk me out of my salvation. You're not going to be able to convince me. I don't care if you, uh, like Brother Hagen used to say, you know, if you, you could beat me with a baseball bat and it's not going to make any difference, I am still confident in what the word of God says. I've never been to heaven, never seen Jesus in the flesh. I didn't see him die on the cross for me, but I know that it's true because it has been made real to me in my spirit. So therefore, when that happens, my faith is solid on that. My faith is, you know, like the old song says, you know, my hope, my trust is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You know, so I know these things. And uh, what God is in his intent for all of us is for us to uh, grasp the word of God to where it becomes that real to each of us. And, you know, I, I, over the years, I've, I've been able to do the same thing where healing is concerned. It is no question in my mind that it is the will of God for us to be healed. There is no question in my mind that Jesus took our infirmities, bore our sicknesses, and by his stripes, we are healed. You can't talk me out of that. And, and there was a day when it, you know, it went from here and got down to here and became revelation to me. And at that moment, when it was rhema word is when faith arose in my heart to receive that and to walk in it. And so God, again, wants us to have confidence in healing to that degree. Uh, you know, I often say this and I forget who originally said it. I don't know if it was something Smith Wigglesworth said, but, or maybe FF Bosworth in his book, Christ, the healer, but he said this, your faith will never go beyond the question mark. 
meaning at the point that there's a question mark in your thinking about something the Word of God declares or promises us, your faith will never go beyond that point. So what we have to do is get in the Word of God and eliminate the question marks. And it takes time. It's a process. It's, you know, sometimes it doesn't happen overnight. You know, it just depends. But uh, the thing is, is that, that that word has to become a rhema word on the inside of us in order for faith to be present. Now, again, I, I want to emphasize this. There's nothing wrong with reading the word of God. I do it every day, uh, you know, and, and feed upon the word. And I encourage people to do that all the time and just go through it. But where it becomes the transition from logos to rhema happens and we talked about this a little uh, bit last week, and that happens as we spend time meditating in the Word of God, as we spend time thinking about it, as we spend time going over it, as we spend time going over it in our minds and, and letting the Holy Spirit minister those things to us, that's when the Word will transition from Logos and become Rhema to you, and then that's where faith arises in your heart. Again, you know, as I, I have shared with you before, where healing is concerned, you know, I had heard many, many messages on healing, had a good understanding of healing uh, in my thinking and and so forth, and, and believed that it was true, but there came a moment in time, and, and again, you've heard me use this illustration for those of us who are old enough to remember payphones, that when you would drop your quarter or your dime or whatever it was, in the slot at the top, you could hear it go all the way down to, you know, through the payphone till it arrived at the bottom of the payphone. And that's what happens with the Word of God. It does the same thing. It goes from here and drops down into our spirits, and that's when it becomes real. It becomes rhema. It becomes revelation to us, and then that's when we can stand on it because the, the question marks are eliminated at that point. And so, you know, so it's just, it's a process that happens as we spend time meditating and thinking about the Word of God. Now, I, I didn't emphasize this last week, and I want to say this. Another reason that it's very important for you to find out what the Word says about what you are praying for and believing God for is that there is going to be a span of time between the time you say amen and the time that the reality or the manifestation of that answer shows up in your life. And so if you do not have the word of God in your heart in between those times, it's going to be hard for you to stand in faith. It's going to be hard for you to resist the temptation to begin to get into doubt and unbelief. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12, I think we did touch on this last week, but it says, fight the good fight of faith. Now, what that means is what Paul was telling Timothy basically is that in between those times, between the amen and the time the answer shows up, it could be and most likely will be a fight. And the fight is going to be, you're not going to fight the devil per se. Jesus has already defeated the devil. But the fight is going to be primarily right here. The battle, like Joyce Meyer's book, The Battlefield of the Mind, the battle is going to take place between your ears. And so what 
you know, and of course, he'll try and introduce thoughts of doubt and unbelief to us. But what we have to do is we have to maintain what we believe, what we're standing on in the Word of God. And, you know, I encourage you, and I learned this again from Brother Hagin many years ago, and that is, you know, when you are finding those scriptures from the Word, take time to write them out. Take time, you know, or of course these days, type them out, but take time to gather them together and put them in writing so that you can keep them in front of you. Now, one of the things we have, I don't have a copy of it right here in front of me, but one of the things that we have on our website that you can download are, are two pages worth of healing scriptures that we've already done the work for you. So if you're praying and believing God for healing, go to our website, go to the more menu at the top, and you can download those healing scriptures and keep them in front of you and say them, repeat them, read over them, and just continue to keep them in your thinking. And then sooner or later, uh, they will become revelation to you. And then the fight, if you will, the fight of faith becomes easier. So I wish I could tell you that from the moment you pray, it's going to be two hours and 20 minutes, and your answer will show up. I can't tell you that, okay? The Bible doesn't tell us that. But what the Bible does tell us is that the answer is ours. So what happens in between that time is totally up to us, okay? And we'll talk more, uh, provided we get through with this this week, um, about how we can do some things to expedite that time, to shorten it some, uh, but anyway, there's, there is going to be a time span. Now, let me just make a comment about this. You know, when people uh, get healed by the gifts of the Spirit or through the miraculous, which is the same thing, that basically what you have to understand is that when you receive your healing that way, it's going to be difficult or more difficult, rather, for you to maintain what you have obtained. Now, the reason for that is because the gifts of the Spirit show up as the Holy Spirit wills and aren't necessarily dependent on our faith. Now, they're, they're dependent on, of course, the will of the Holy Spirit, the faith of the ministry that's going on at the time and so forth. But many times, people that are in an environment like that, and this has been for, for years and years and years, this isn't anything new, but when people have been present in a healing service where the power of God shows up and the miraculous takes place and people are healed, that many times people lose their healing in that situation because there is always going to be a counterattack. There's always going to be an effort by the enemy to try and take from you what God has given you. And so because people show up and get healed in an environment like that, they're not trained or taught, nor do they have faith to be able to maintain their healing. So it's very important. There's nothing wrong with the miraculous, but it's very important that if you are healed miraculously, that you get into the Word of God and know how to maintain that, how to um, to hold fast, as, as Paul told Timothy, and lay hold of those things because the enemy is going to try and come and take that from you. I've seen it time and time again, even with people that have 
stood in faith on the word of God, experienced healing in their lives because they weren't aware that there was probably going to be a counterattack coming. Uh, they weren't ready for it. And so therefore they faltered. So the, the thing that you need to know is when you receive your healing, either by the miraculous or by faith in the word of God, know this, that at some point the enemy is going to come and try and take your healing from you. You know, even Jesus wasn't exempt from this. Of course, he never experienced sickness and disease in his own body like it, like we would. But the, the, if you'll remember after Luke chapter four, where the, the temptation in the wilderness took place, the scripture says that the devil left him for a season until another opportune time. And so even Jesus was susceptible to a repeat attack, if you will, another effort of the enemy to try and take from you what belongs to you. Now that brings us to number two, and number two is meditate constantly on the promises that you based your answer to prayer. So whatever those scriptures are that you found, and I've already said this, but spend time thinking about those things. Now I know we all have busy lives. You're not gonna be able to spend hours upon hours upon hours uh, you know, just thinking and meditating on the word of God, you've got other things to do, but we do have time that we can fit in there time that is not wasted time and spend that time thinking about the word, take a verse at a time and just go over that verse and just think about it, spend time thinking about it. You know, one of the greatest things to do, you know, let me use healing again as an example is that when you go to the word and you find out what the word says about healing, a great way to meditate on healing is to imagine your life being lived out as, as a person that is healed. In other words, if you are dealing with some type of infirmity in your life, uh, imagine what life would be like not having that and experiencing that. You know, even to the point where, you know, if somebody is is wheelchair bound and they're believing God to, you know, receive healing or restoration, recreation, whatever they need in their body for their health to be restored, you know, meditating on themselves, getting up and being able to function in life as uh, without those encumbrances and being able to function as a healed person is, is part of that meditation process. You know, I've taught on meditation quite a bit, and it literally means in the Hebrew language to imagine. And so, you know, if you're believing God for a financial need to be met, you know, spend time in the word of God, spend time based on the word where God is your source and God is your provider. Spend time meditating on that as though you have no financial needs. What would your life look like if you had no financial needs? What would your life look like if you had no debt? What would your life look like if you had more than enough and you were able to meet the needs of people as the Holy Spirit directed you? There's nothing wrong with that. That's why God gave us the ability to imagine those things. So that's all part of that meditation process and spending time in the Word. Now, we talked a little bit about becoming rooted in yourself. We looked at Mark chapter four, and one of the, the recipients of the seed of God's word in verse 17, Jesus said that they faltered because they had no root in themselves. Now, this meditation process is what 
allows the word to become more and more rooted in your heart. Uh, go over with me to Romans chapter four. Let me, let me show you something there, which ties perfectly right into this Romans chapter four. And let's look at where Paul wrote and he referred to Abraham a little bit in Romans, the fourth chapter. Let's begin at, at verse 16, Romans four sixteen. And I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says this, Therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, who Abraham believed, God, who gives life to the dead, who calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Now let's, let's unravel this just a little bit. It says here that Abraham, who contrary to hope, in hope believed. One translation says, uh, and I think it might be the Amplified, I might be wrong, but it, it said this, that with all hope being gone, he hoped on anyway. Now, what is the hope that he's talking about? In the natural, Abraham and Sarah had no possible way for them to have children. There was no hope of them having children in the natural. First of all, even if they weren't up in years, the Bible says that Sarah was barren all of her life. So she wasn't able to have children, period, whether they were 35 or 95. It didn't matter. So that was one thing that was working against them. And then you compound that with the age of their physical bodies. So really, they had no reason for hope in their lives. Now, somebody tell me what hope is. You do remember. It's the expectation of things to come. Yeah, expectation. It is an expectation of things to come. So what the scripture is saying is because of their physical circumstances, there was no expectation of them having children. But it says, but they hoped on, or it says, who contrary to hope, in hope believed. So what they had to do is move past what they saw in the natural, which basically took their expectation away from them and had to put their focus on the word of God, the promise of God, where God told them, you'll be the father of many nations and put their expectation on that. And that's clearly what we have to do. You know, many of us, we might not be facing situations where uh, all natural hope is gone. You might be. But what you're going to have to do is put your eyes on something that is going to give you hope and give you an expectation. And this kind of, you know, just lays the groundwork for us to talk about the difference between hope and faith. Because notice what it says. It says, who contrary to hope, in hope believed. Notice it didn't just say they hoped for these things. It says with or in their hope, they believed. Now, hope is perfect. You need to have hope. 
Hope, as Judy said, is that expectation of things which are to come. But it says that they went beyond their hope and they believed. Now, somebody try and tell me the difference between hope and belief or hope and faith. You said it, Judy, when you gave that definition. Say that definition again. Uh, The expectation of things to come. Okay, so let me ask you a question. Based on what she just said, is hope future, present, or past tense? It's future tense. It's future. Okay, hope is an expectation of things to come. Faith, on the other hand, it brings it from the reality of the future of an expectation into now. Okay. Uh, hold your finger there in Romans. We'll come back there in just a second, but let's, let's go over and, and just make this a little study of faith for a second, but let's look at Hebrews 11, one where, where Paul gives us a definition of what faith is. Now, keep in mind, hope is good. Nothing wrong with hope. You have to start with hope. But hope is an expectation of things to come. As Judy said, that's a beautiful definition. So Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 says this. um, And somebody that has an amplified Bible, does anybody have an amplified? I can get one uh, because I want to read that to you. Here, I've got it. Okay. Let me... Let me turn to it real quick. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Now, here's what the New King James says. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So let's break that down. If hope is an expectation of things to come, then what faith does is give substance to those expectations, okay? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is the substance of those, the expectations of things to come. It's the evidence of things not seen. Now listen to the Amplified. Now faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of the things we hope for being the proof of things we do not see and the conviction of their reality, faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. Okay, so let me break this down again. Notice it says, now faith is the assurance and the confirmation, the title deed. Now, I love using this illustration. Anybody here made a on, on this Bible study ever made a hotel reservation before? Okay, you went online, you made a hotel reservation, you put maybe your, your card number in there to, to guarantee the room. All right, so what do they give you when you make that reservation? Confirmation. A confirmation number. Okay, now let's say that, conf, that, that reservation is not for six months. So that time passes and you show up at the hotel, wherever that is, and you go to the front desk and you say, I am so-and-so and I am here to check in. I have a reservation. 
And what if they come back to you and they say, well, there's a problem. We don't see your reservation. Then you well, give them the confirmation number. Then you give them the confirmation number because what is that? That is your proof that you have a reservation. Amen. So, so your faith is the proof that what you hope for is yours. Amen. Now, notice it's not what you hope for in the future. It's what you hope for and is already yours now. Because let me tell you this. If I made a reservation at a hotel, today is, uh, you know, June the 8th. If I made that reservation for August the 8th, okay, that hotel room is just as good as mine now as it will be on August the 8th. Why? Because I have a confirmation for it. Now, listen. I, and, and I've had this happen where I've gone to the front desk of a hotel. They said, we can't find your reservation. And, and I'm sorry, sir, we're all sold out. And my response to that, and I say it in a very polite way, but my response is, well, somebody better start constructing a room now because I have a confirmation that promised and guaranteed me a room at this hotel. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, they're not going to do that. They're going to provide something else for you. But the fact of the matter is that confirmation is the proof that what you reserve, what you expected to have happen is already yours. So he goes on to say, it is the, the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of the things we hope for. Look at this, being the proof of things we do not See, what things? The things we have faith for. Mm -hmm. So when you pray and you believe God for healing or whatever it is, you have an expectation that that healing is coming, but you have to take it out of the future and bring it to the now as though you already possess it by faith. Does that make sense to you? Okay. Yes. All right. And again, at the end of the verse, he says, faith perceiving as real fact what is not yet revealed to the senses. So, again, going back to my illustration, even though I can't physically see that hotel room, I may have never been to that hotel before, couldn't tell you what it looks like. But I know that I have that reservation. I know that I have that confirmation. And even though that hotel room has not yet been revealed to my senses, where I see it, feel it, smell it, all those things, it is still just as much mine. So what faith does, it takes hold of things that are in our future and brings them, brings them into the reality of now. Okay? So faith makes it a reality even though I can't see it with or experience it with my physical senses, it is still very much a reality to me. Reality to me. It still becomes very real to me. All right. Now go back to Romans chapter four. Uh, and healing is just a tad different, just a little bit. And, and let me say this to you. You've heard me say this. Healing is not a promise. Healing is a redemptive fact, just like salvation is a redemptive fact, okay? So it becomes easier to believe for because it is a fact, 
just like your salvation is a fact. Does that make sense? Um, and what I mean by that is if healing was a promise, it would still be something to take place in the future. In other words, the power of God would show up at some moment in order to heal you at some moment in the future. But in reality, in the spirit, your healing is already bought and paid for, already has your name on it, already belongs to you, and just simply has to be received like salvation does. Okay? Mm -hmm. All right. Now, let's go over to Romans 4 again. So knowing what we know, okay, about the difference between faith and hope, let's go back. The promise was, verse 17, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. Now, let me take a little bitty side journey here, so bear with me. If you study and go back to Genesis and God's interactions with Abraham, you'll see where God starts out with Abram and says, I will make you a father of many nations. Is that future? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. So that's future. So what he's doing in that is he's building hope on the inside of Abram. You know, you got a man that uh, doesn't know God at all. And here God begins to interact with him. He's got to start with hope. He's got to start with that expectation. So what happens is, is God works with him for several years, building into him. I will make you a father of many nations, and you shall all families of the earth be blessed, all future tense, okay? But there comes a day, and it takes place, I believe, in the 17th chapter of Genesis, where God changes his wording, and it says this, that, and this is what is quoted here in Romans 4, 17, where it changes from, I will make you a father of many nations, to, look at what it says, I have made you a father of many nations. So is that future, present, or past tense? Present. No, that's past tense. I have already oh, yeah. made you. Yes. Okay. So what God did is he transitioned. At some point, Abram's faith went from hope, it became faith, and then God began to deal with him as though it had already happened. Okay. So then he says the, that was the, so the promise changed to, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope again in hope believed so that he became the father of many nations. Now the scripture tells us that it was accounted to Abraham as righteousness when he believed God, what was it that he believed? He believed the promise that I have already been made the father of many nations mm -hmm. before Isaac ever showed up. In other words, he believed the promise as though it was already his. It went from future tense to something that he already possessed. Mm-hmm. And so when we're believing God for something, when we're standing in faith for something, it has to move from something that's in the future, where that's where we start, but it's got to move to where it has already taken place by faith. 
Okay. Are you tracking with me? Okay. So it says, who contrary to hope, in hope, believe that he, that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Now look at what happened in verse 19. And being not weak in faith. Now keep in mind, this is all before Isaac was born. Isaac's not born yet. So he, in being not weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. So, so the contrary circumstances for Abraham and Sarah were their physical conditions. Your contrary circumstances might be something totally different. But you're going to have to do what he did and not become weak in faith. How? How did he do it? All right, let's go on. Verse 20, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. So let's stop and let's look at that. So he didn't waver at the promise of God. You're going to have to make up your mind that you're in it to win it. Okay. And what I mean by that is you're not going to quit. So when the circumstances and the heat gets turned up, telling you it's not going to happen, it's not yours, you know, just why are you believing the word of God? You're, you press your way through that. Now, he gives us a clue as to how to do that. And notice what it says, but he was strengthened in faith. His faith was made stronger. He started out in faith, but his faith became stronger. How? He gave glory to God. What does that mean? Every opportunity he got, he thanked God that he was the father of many nations, that it was already done before the answer, before Isaac ever showed up. Okay. Now, one thing he had going for him was God changed his name from Abram to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. So, so think about this. Every time somebody called his name, they were confirming what God's promise was. Every time he said his name, he was confirming what God's promise was. So, but at the same time, he gave glory to God. I cannot overemphasize this step, and this is later on in our notes, but I might as well talk about it now. I cannot overemphasize the effect of praising and worshiping God for your answer before the answer shows up. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, can I say this to you? Have you ever noticed in the gospels and, um, you know, in all those 19 cases that we went and studied in the gospels in Jesus ministry, did you ever notice that we never really saw when, when somebody would receive their healing and, and believe him and put their faith in him and the power of God would show up and the miraculous would happen, we never saw Jesus really respond to that. In other words, can I, and just, I'm being funny when I say this and I'm exaggerating, but we never saw Jesus shout and run around the room when that happened. Have you ever thought about that? Anybody got any idea why? He knew it. Because he already knew what was going to happen. Absolutely. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, not because necessarily, I mean, yes, he, the Holy Ghost had given him instructions, but he might not have been able to visually see ahead of time what was going to transpire. But here's what's so important. In his heart, it was as good as done. So it did not surprise him. See, a lot of times when God shows up on our behalf, it surprises us. It ought not surprise us. Now, I'm not saying we're not grateful and we don't praise God and get excited about it. But what I'm saying is it ought not catch us off guard. It ought not be like, oh, my gosh, did you see what God did? No, it should be like, praise God. I knew what God was going to do. Okay. So same thing was true with Abraham. So look at, let's go on. It says he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Again, can't overemphasize that. That is going to be your most powerful weapon between amen and the answer showing up. But here, here we go. Here's another flip side to that. Verse 21 and being fully convinced. The old King James says persuaded being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. Now, we've talked about this before, again, but but it bears repeating. Notice it says that Abraham, being fully convinced that what he had promised, or as the old King James says, that he was fully persuaded. Let me ask you a question. Who did the convincing and who did the persuading? Abraham fully convinced himself. Abraham fully persuaded himself. Amen. How? By spending time thinking, meditating, and praising God about the promise. Listen, I, 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 can, I, I can say this to you. The more you praise God and the more you worship God for your answer, the more convinced you're going to be that it's yours. Because let me tell you something. You can't praise God for something you don't really believe is yours. It's impossible. If you can, you're a fake, right? So, you know, what I mean is when you spend time and, you know, listen, I'm the, the amount of time is up to you and Jesus, but when you spend time, father, thank you for my healing. I believe I am healed from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. Jesus, I worship you and thank you for paying the price for me. Thank you that healing belongs to me. The more you do that, the more convinced you will become that it belongs to you. Now, you may start out doing that and your mind is fighting you the whole time. Press your way through that because eventually your mind will shut up. Amen. Okay. Read that verse 20 in the Amplified. Okay. Uh, Let me back up here. Hold on. Romans 4, verse 20 in the Amplified says, No unbelief or distrust made him waver or doubtingly question concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong and was empowered by faith as he gave praise and glory to God. I like this, verse 21 fully satisfied and assured that God was able and mighty to keep his word and to do what he had promised. 
You know, I said this Sunday at church talking from uh, Mark chapter 11, and I'm going to get to there in just a second. But um, you can have doubt in your head and faith in your heart at the same time. Amen. It's what you do with those thoughts of doubt that make the difference. Okay. Because we live and function in a natural world that's screaming at us and telling us that God's word is not going to come to pass because it's going in a completely different direction. So we're going to be confronted with thoughts of doubt. It's, it's, it's inevitable, but it's what you do with those thoughts of doubt that determine whether it moves from doubt to unbelief. Now, let me explain the difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt are those fleeting thoughts that come into your mind that are contrary to whatever it is that you're standing in faith for, whatever you're believing God for. Unbelief is when doubt has gotten into your heart and unbelief becomes an act of your will. In other words, it's where you make a decision to stop believing. Okay. Now, and again, I use this illustration Sunday, but, uh, you know, the best illustration of, of this, I heard from Willie George and one of his children's church examples. And that was this, that you can have thoughts of doubt up here in your head, but if you don't let them ride the elevator of your mouth, they won't get down here in your spirit or in your heart. Okay, so if, if, if those thoughts that cross our minds, if you don't put words to them, those thoughts will die unborn. They won't be able to produce anything. But the moment you put words to them, you're allowing them to begin to drop down in your heart. And just like faith is of the heart, according to Romans chapter 10, unbelief is of the heart as well. It's when we make a decision to say, you know what? maybe this isn't going to happen for me. Maybe this, maybe it's not God's will for me to be healed, or maybe it's not God's will for, to meet this need or whatever the case is. Okay. What you've done is you've made a conscious decision at that point to stop <coughs> believing. Okay. So what you have to do is you have to do like Judy was saying is understand the thoughts of doubt are going to come. Matter of fact, you know, to emphasize what she said, Anybody that's mentioned in that hall of fame of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, none of them were Marvel action superheroes. Okay. If you think about Abraham twice, let me, let me just pull the veil back on him a little bit. Twice he lied and told people his wife was his sister. So they wouldn't desire her. He lied. I mean, straight up lied. And I'm talking about after he started walking with God. So he was far from perfect. Matter of fact, none of those people in Hebrews 11 are perfect. So, so listen, don't ever put them or anybody else on a pedestal and, and think that you don't qualify because, listen, they don't have anything on us. If the only reason they're used as examples is because they chose to believe God, and you can do the Amen. same thing. You can choose to believe God as well. All right? So. Amen. But, it, but the point that I wanted to make was, is what we found there in verse 21 and being fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. So meditation, spending time in the word of God is what causes you to become 
fully persuaded, fully persuaded that what uh, you have prayed for is yours. Now go over with me to Mark chapter 11. And I want to just go over something again that we talked about last week so that uh, you can understand it. And I have a great illustration for you to show you the difference. Okay. Mark chapter 11. And uh, look at verse 24, Mark eleven twenty four. I'll wait and let you get there because I want you to be able to see it in your Bible. Mark 11, verse 24. Okay. Who's speaking here, by the way? Jesus. How do we know that? Okay. Yeah, you're right. I just wanted to see if y'all were still sharp. You are. Okay. Mark eleven twenty four. Jesus said this. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, you remember what I said last week? Jesus never expected us to believe for the manifestation. He expects us to believe that we receive the answer. Your faith is designed to receive the answer. The manifestation is God's responsibility. Okay, you remember we talked about that last week? Yes. All right. Let me give you an illustration, okay? And I, I've used this in other applications, but it's it's very true here. I was thinking about this after Bible study last week. Let's say you're working your job and, uh, you know, you love your job. You're doing well on your job and your boss comes to you and says, okay, I know right now you're making X, but we have decided we appreciate you. We love you being a part of this company so much that we're going to give you a $50,000 a year raise. Now, is that good? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. I think all of us would, wouldn't mind that. All right. So, yeah. so you say, so you're sitting there in the boss's office and they make this promise to you and they tell you, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you this raise and the it, it'll show up. And actually, it's not going to be a raise. We've decided to go ahead and give you a bonus equivalent to that for this year, and then we'll start paying you on a pay period basis next year. Okay, so and it will show up on your next paycheck. Okay, all I need you to do is keep showing up to work and doing what you've been doing and doing a good job. All right. Now, when you leave that meeting, what's your attitude? Happy. Okay. Excited. All right. I you, got it. You're excited. Now, mm -hmm. it, do you ever walk out of there and go, you know, I'm just not sure it's their will for me to have that. No, no, no. The boss just sat there and told you it is their will for you to have this. And it is as good as yours. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you seen the manifestation of it yet? No. No. Why? Because it's going to show up on future paychecks. All right. 
But here's what we do. We make the decision in our heart that we have already received that. And, and, and here's how I can prove it to you. You know what you do? You leave that meeting and you start making plans on how you're going to spend that extra money, even Amen. though you don't have a dime of it in your possession yet, but you have already received it Thank you, Jesus. and you are already making plans on what you're going to do with it. Now, I want to ask you a question. Whose responsibility is it to, to manifest that? Is it your responsibility? No, it's the boss. It's the company. It's the boss's responsibility. Mm -hmm. Your part is just keep showing up, doing a good job, doing what mm -hmm. you're doing, and remain loyal to the company. Okay? So that's the same thing that Jesus is telling us. That's the difference between believing that you receive it and believing for the manifestation. Because you, it, you don't even give it a second thought. Now, how are they going to do that? Are they going to have to sell some stuff for that to be able to happen? Or are they going to, I bet they're going to have to move some money around in order for me to do that. And you just, you, no, you don't give that a second thought. Why? That's their problem. That's their responsibility. Mm -hmm. Your part is to say, man, praise God. I cannot wait to get my paycheck next week. Okay. Yes. All right. And you, why? Because you have already received that, maybe not in your heart, but in your thinking, you have already received that, okay? So that is the difference between believing that you receive and believing for the manifestation. God says, I'll take care of the manifestation. You just believe that you receive. Now, again, let's go back. Let's say, what do you do when you leave that meeting? You said, well, you're happy. You're excited about it. Uh, you know, I said, well, you begin to make plans on what you're going to do with that additional income and that additional money. Well, let me ask you a question. What are you going to do when, with the answer when the answer to your prayer shows up? You should be already making plans what you're going to do with a healthy body. You should be already making plans what you're going to do when all of your needs are met. You should be already making plans what you're going to do when that loved one turns their life, whatever it might be. You should already be making plans as though you already have the answer. Why? Because you have already received it in your heart. The manifestation's up to God. Okay. Now let's say this. Let's say that employer had that meeting with you and they told you, okay, we're, we decided we're going to do this. We're going to give you this extra $50,000 retroactive. Then we're going to give you a raise going forward, but you won't see it until a year from now. Or, or, or let's say it this way. What if they said, we're not sure exactly when it will kick in, but it will kick in. Do you start doubting at that point? No, your response is exactly the same because you, why? I know it's coming. All right. Now, what I want you to see is you're receiving it is totally separated from when the manifestation shows up. And Jesus said, whatever things you ask when you pray, your part is to believe that you receive them and then you 
will have them. So I guarantee you, you start telling everybody about what's getting ready to happen in your life, what the boss has already promised you. You start telling people, man, I tell you what, I work for the best company in the world. Let me tell you what they did for me. Let me tell you. And so you begin to talk it up as though it's already happened. You have, Why? Because you have made an adjustment in your heart to where you have already received the answer. You have already received the fullness of what was promised to you, even though you haven't seen one penny, one dime of that money. Okay. Do you see yes. the difference? Yes, sir. Okay. That's what we are expected to do. It is not our responsibility to figure out how, when, where, you know, the manifestation is going to take place. That's not our job. God's big enough to handle all of that. Your part is just to believe that you receive it before you ever see it. Okay. And that's, that's really the reality of faith. That's what faith is all about. You know, and it's funny because people will fight faith, you know, when you talk about it from the Bible, but if they ever entered into a scenario, like I just described, man, they're all over faith and they don't even know it. <laughs> Okay. So, all right. Well, I guess we're not going to make it through the rest of this tonight because <laughs> the preacher had a lot of other stuff to talk about, but here I'll, you know, the, the, the rest of this really is all related to stuff that we've already talked about things that we've already covered. Okay. And, uh, and I'll hit on it quickly next week. And if, and if the Holy ghost doesn't lead us to do something else, then we'll, we'll, uh, endeavor to, to get onto what I'll, and working my way towards. All right. Yes. So, all right. I know this is review for some of us. Uh, some of us, it might be new, but listen, it, it's hugely important to understand these things because the Bible says that the just shall live by faith. This is God's plan. This is how we are supposed to live. And we've got to know how this works. You know, my whole thing is, uh, you know, as I've been telling you over and over and over again, God wants us to become skillful where these things are concerned, where we are skillful, where the word of God is concerned. And we know not only how to apply it to our own lives, but we're able to tell other people how they can apply it and walk in it in their lives as well. Amen. Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.